Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, a partner in the Dillon Law Group, social media legend and free speech enthusiast. When I started the Coleman Nation podcast in the spring of 2021, its focus was on free expression and censorship on the internet. But as important as that subject is to me, which is very important, I felt hemmed in in the podcast. I wanted to spend more time talking to the interesting people I've met in my legal and free speech work without feeling a need to have them all make the same point. So I culminated the first series of the podcast and have started the second series. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations as much as I have recording them. Hey, culminators. Hello from a rainy Newark, New Jersey, which is what it is on as we record this on November 30th. Today, my friend, Jeff Balaban, the everything guy, Mr. Washington in my life. I don't know anyone else who I associate in a positive way more than Jeff Balaban. Jeff, welcome. Thanks for coming back. You are, of course, a, a regular here. Uh, and it would be absolutely insane not to come out of the, what essentially amounts to, I think, the settling dust of the midterms and pick your brain about what's going on, what we're hearing, what we're seeing. Hello, Ron. I'm glad to be back with Culmination. Uh, yeah, settling dusk, I mean, it's still, it, it still hasn't fully settled. There is just an article today that I thought was well done. Uh, I think it was the Washington Times about how it looks like Ron McDaniel at the RNC is a shoo-in. And the question is why? Why is she in the shoo-in when everyone was anticipating a huge red wave and there was barely a ripple? Why, as you and I should probably address, the only reason Literally, the only reason that the House is not still in the hands of the Democrats is some, some quirky thing that happened in New York that relates to four House seats that Orthodox Jews put over the top, moving it from Democrat to Republican. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? We'll talk about uh, that. And why that and why that may be a very short term uh, outlier as opposed to a long term indicator uh, and what could be done to change that. And also simultaneously and not unrelatedly, what's going on in Israel with their recent elections that happened the same week and in which now the Is they're trying to form a government there under tremendous pressure from America to try to you know, actually force them to put together a government that does not have the kind of mandate that the, the better government choices have. So there's a lot going on that we should definitely be talking about. So let's talk about the first thing. Let's do it in order. I don't know whether we'll remember the order, but as you said, midterms, some people did some things, some people didn't do some things. Yes. And yet, as you say, it looks like Rhonda is, once again, exactly what you'd expect, actually. You would expect it unless you expected it. In other words, you wouldn't think under, if you, if you were a man from Mars, you wouldn't think that she would be, in a, be a shoe in. But if you've been through this through this cycle before, you'd expect that nothing would change. So I, I don't often refer to myself in the third person, but sometimes Jeff does. <laughs> and one of those is when it comes to Jeff's rules. And Jeff has, Jeff has a few rules and here's one, okay? And that is individuals by and large, and by the way, rules have exceptions, but these are pretty good rules. Individuals by and large and systems almost inevitably will react to their incentives. So for example, people get very frustrated that why isn't the government solving this pressing problem? And the answer is because there's nobody at any level of government anywhere being incentivized to solve problems. That's not how government works, okay? Similarly, there's nowhere at any level of the fundraising organism that is the RNC 
that's actually being incentivized to win freaking elections. That's no one is. Campaign consultants who are also the beneficiaries of billions now, billions of dollars in, in campaign um, contributions and funds are also not actually incentivized to win or lose, right? They're incentivized to do other things. And so we, we have a system where it, the, the incentives are not aligned with actually achieving results that we're talking about. People would think, well, why aren't we getting more people elected? And the answer is because no one's incentive. There's no, you don't lose money if you lose an election. Why? 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 Don't lose money why, don't, what? why? I mean, don't, don't donors, the donors don't reward success over failure? No, uh, by and large, donors, okay, there's, there's a few different classes of people who donate to political causes. Some people are passionate Americans who are frustrated by a situation or support something, and they're not involved day to day in policy, right? Because they're leading their lives, because they're supposed to lead their lives. And America's supposed to, you know, be sort of very laissez-faire light touch, right? Um, so they're delegating instead of doing, right? And so the problem is that when you delegate, then then it's no longer what's motivating you, it's what motivating the people to whom you're delegating. All right. And what they're what's motivating them is make you feel good about your donation. So it depends on what you want. If you're a very rich guy and you really want to feel good because you've gotten a photo taken with the president and you get a photo taken with the president, that costs you a lot of money and you haven't really helped elect anybody, all right? Uh, nor have you actually pushed a cause. And, and if you think that, and this isn't just, by the way, uh, a donor who gives a lot of money to be in a photo op with the candidate. This is true for a, an example, um, groups like, uh, we've talked about this, like APAC, right? So APAC is a group where, for decades, people thought that its job was to uh, support Israel along the lines of pushing policies that the democratically elected government of Israel wants that are consistent with what Americans want. That's not what they do. They push what's consistent with what they think will get them more donors, right? And so I first learned this when I was working on Capitol Hill, and I didn't know I was totally apolitical. I went there to escape being a lawyer. You know what that's like. Um, oh, no, you don't. Oh, yeah, that's why you're doing this. That's right. So um, only for brief moments. Only for brief moments. Right. So I went there and, and all of a sudden people, my colleagues and friends without any rancor were saying, oh, Jew Day is coming up. Jeff's going to love Jew Day. I was like, what's Jew Day? I will tell you at the time, I was the only guy wearing a yarmulke on Capitol Hill. Um, and it turns out Jew Day is days when these groups like APEC come up and you have hundreds or thousands of well-meaning, earnest constituents running around lobbying, right? All right? Let me tell you something. There is not a single member of either chamber. There is not a single staffer that reports to any member of any chamber that could care less about the thoughts of the people running around in the Hill. No, why should we care about your, about your public policy thoughts? The job is for the organization to say, oh, this is a very, very important member. You should support them. And then you're an ATM machine. And for the member or staff to say, this is a very, very important organization. You should support them. And you're an ATM machine. Here's and the when the people, and, I'm, and I've been there on Jew Day. Yeah. But, you know, uh, yeah. You know, and what the job of either the, the, the member or the staffer who receives you is, is to entertain you and to make you feel that you have indeed, to put, to put it back in your terms, that you are, investment 
in getting up early and going to Washington that morning was worth it because you got to look across the table in the eye of either a member of Congress or a, a, someone on their staff who is relatively, you know, selected to, you know, for your topic. Yeah. That's it. And, and take it up to a higher level. People have called me, I, I've had hundreds of calls of people who have written giant checks. So they're going to be at a dinner and they're going to meet a president. They say, what should I tell him? Like, he doesn't care. <laughs> right. You think that he cares about your public policy position? Just tell him you're doing a great job and we love you and we support you. And that's a good thing to say if you do, right? Otherwise, no one's interested. So here's another rule, okay? Once you write, as if you're if you're the category of people who are writing substantial checks to Washington, right? You've immediately discounted the value of your policy thoughts because they pay people whose policy thoughts they're interested in, right? Because I pay people like me for my policy thoughts. Either I'm working as a staffer or as a consultant to them policy-wise. <laughs> they're not interested in, in, in random people showing up with policy ideas. So for, anyway, the point is that there's a whole, there's, the, the, there's Washington itself, and then we got to it from the electoral politics, but it's, it's very similar. There's Washington itself, there's election, there's election themselves, and then there's what people think about it. And what people think about it is all manipulation because this is how you get checks. So we now have a situation where I'm not criticizing Rana for the way she runs the RNC. I'm criticizing the way the RNC is set up if the job is really to get people elected. Is the DNC no. set up differently or the same? No, no, it's it's right. all about fundraising. It's all about fundraising, um, and so unfortunately, the, all right. So, that, but let's let's move on from that. The, the, the we we now have a situation where let's talk about these four seats. So, what happened was in New York, uh, just a few weeks before the election, something colossally dumb happened where uh, there was a years in the making long assault on private religious Orthodox Jewish education. And you and I both have been very involved in this, not the assault part, the counter, right? And the government is saying, um, thanks to activists who really just wanna end authentic Orthodox Judaism, and they don't like it, uh, they're saying we, you know, that, that what's being taught in some of the private religious schools doesn't, isn't quote, substantially equivalent, unquote, which is the standard, to what's demanded by law in the curriculum. Now, you, I know, have kids have gone through those kinds of sort of systems. I mean, there's, there's an array, there's a spectrum of how much, quote, secular education they get, right? I I do also, and, and, I, and I also went to those kinds of schools, but we had some, we had a substantial secular education. The, the point is, they're trying to say, if you're not getting the same stuff the same number of hours that you're getting in public school, then you're not getting substantial equivalent. But these schools actually have about three or four times as many hours of instruction. Right? They're not ignoring, they're just teaching different, very complex things. Anyways, there's been an attack on it. And that's the one thing that, that this Jewish community, especially the, the ultra-Orthodox, as it's called, Jewish community cares about, because that's the future, that's the continuity. And they attacked it. And if the Democrats attacked it, and it became a big issue where Lee Zeldin and, and all the down-ticket people in those areas said, no, 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 we're going to protect you and your parental rights to educate your kids the way you want to. Now, Lee uh, Zeldin, you mean Lee, Lee Zeldin at the top of the ticket? Right, Lee Zeldin. And then the, the, and the down-ticket down in the respective districts. In those, in those districts, that's right. And we've seen the numbers. I don't have them in front of me, but the numbers were extraordinary. Something to more than 90 plus percent 
of the community came out, they came out in force and they voted Republican. Now, the only reason they were voting Democrat if they were before that was because Democrats have been sending transfer payments in some respects to, to some of their institutions so that they could afford Jewish education. But now they're trying to dismantle Jewish education. Here's the thing. So in, those, in four districts, including in Maloney's district, he was the chair of the DCC, which is the Democrat congressional campaign, DCCC, which its job is to raise money for other candidates. And he's part of leadership. And it was a shock, a shock loss to anyone who wasn't paying attention. The reason he lost was because he, he, he was part of the team that was threatening Jewish education. All the Democrats need to do to recover is saying, we're going to start sending you money. And um, but otherwise, the Republicans would have lost the House. I mean, would have would have not gained the House. So there are a couple of things there, right? One is that, as you're pointing out, this should not be taken for a a a, a an existent an existential change in the political uh, political. Um, relationship between Orthodox Jews and Democrats in New York. Here's just, again, many New York's Orthodox neighborhoods flip for Zeldin as Yeshiva School Oversight strengthens, a flood of voters, updated map of the 2022 general election results. Okay, red, 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 South Brooklyn. That's where the Jews live in Brooklyn. Uh, at, you know, my, Borough Park and, uh, you know, Right in Williamsburg, but if you go if you go further upstate to Rockland County and ah, right and Orange County, especially Rockland County, that's where you see seats that actually flipped. Right, that's right. I mean, obviously, and 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 you're saying that that are you sure that it, that it was really about the money? And you and I have discussed this incessantly. Yeah, about, I mean, because what what the what the reaction was among the orthodox community in new jersey wasn't they're going to cut off money it was that they want to actually regulate right. our curriculum to the extent that parents who send children to schools that don't provide a substantial equivalent to those super duper successful new york city public schools <laughs> Um, would be theoretically subject to imprisonment because their children would be deemed truants. Yeah, I'm I mean, sorry. I think I, it was I, more, I, that's what I said. I misspoke. You're right. You're right. What I'm saying is, no, no. What I'm saying is that for decades, what's been the, the way that this community's voted for decades has been it tends to vote for a hawkish president, generally Republican, but not always. There have been deals cut, like Hillary infamously cut a deal with parts of the community when she was running. But um, in general, it's it's they've got something hawkish on president who, who, because they believe that's what America needs to protect America and also will protect the Jews around the world, especially in Israel. Um, and so that becomes a factor. But when you look down ballot, uh, they're, they're been taught for decades, uh, these are large families, they need to be transfer payments because basically we're spending so much money on our kids' education, et cetera, et cetera. What I'm saying is that if the Democrats, it's two steps. They have to back off this idea that they're going to touch the content. Yes. Which I'm not sure they can do. I'm not sure. At this point, I believe the ideological uh, 
momentum on the left in the Democratic Party, and particularly in the city council in New York, um, is can, is irreversible. You may be right. You, you you may be right. And if so, then then we will not see this change. And the truth is, this change didn't start now. I mean, these communities have been voting more and more Republican, have been registering more and more Republican. But even when they register Republican, there's there's still a sense of a, an urgency in some sectors of getting whatever transfer payments they can to offset the crazy tax situation and the fact they have, you know, an average of nine kids. And that's actually the average. Um, so, yeah. You said something also about, about the safety of Jews elsewhere in the world. I would really like to have a, a couple minutes here on something that a lot of people misunderstand, which is, well, because Trump and because the conservatives are better on Israel, and that's not always how it's, you know, how it's framed. Uh, in other words, people who are sympathetic say better on Israel and people who are antipathetic say they're soft on Israel. They're, they let Israel get away with uh, uh, Living, apartheid and, and genocide and all those things. God forbid. Um, but how do we explain to people that although the treatment of Israel and the way Israel is framed by a by American politicians is of great interest to communities like the ones you and I live in or are part of, we're not as such, we're not Zionist voters as such. I, that's can I can I ask you that we do an entirely separate podcast on that because that, <laughs> yeah. no no that's that's a huge it's an important issue that like, answer will be part of this as long as that answer can be part of this podcast okay the sh the short the short version of it is that you, I've actually thought about this you could do you know Matt Walsh's what is a woman you right. could do what you could do a what is a Zionism thing in Israel and it's hysterical I've been spending a lot of time there lately and I don't see myself as a Zionist at all because. Uh, it, and, and many arch Zionists think I'm a super Zionist because everyone's got a different definition of what Zionism is, right? And to me, I always look at, at root issues and incentives. And to me, my understanding of Zionism is it was a replacement idea for Judaism when it was first founded. And the idea was Jews are being abused for the last few thousand years. Jews have no home anymore because we've been in exile for a while. And now a lot of us are based in European countries. It was a little better in the Middle Eastern countries, the Muslim countries, but it was bad in the Christian countries. This was. Um, so, and especially in the post-Enlightenment countries also at that time. So here was a post-Enlightenment secular idea, which was the early Zionist concept was if we drop the albatross of being Jewish, we drop the faith thing, and we instead transition it to purely the national aspect, because Jews are also a nation, and we have all the appurtenances of a Westphalian nation state, we have borders and we have a flag, then, in their famous words, we will be Frenchmen, right? Which they meant in a positive way. That and if we have an army, they'll really respect us. Right, exactly. And it, it's a short-sighted misunderstanding of the fact that Jews are never going to escape being Jews. And the world will always treat Jews the way the world treats Jews. For better, you know, whatever, good, bad, and different. I'm not, it's, I don't care at this moment for this conversation. The point is, right, right. it's a delusion. But the real issue is, that is not the goal of Judaism, all right? And it, the goal of Judaism is not, can we finally drop the albatross of the faith? Okay, and so the or or, or, in, or in any other way, in other words, the goal is in, is in no way to find a comfortable way through the world. That's not the idea. That's right. So exactly, exactly. The idea is that there's some kind of a mission 
and 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 it's to live a certain way and you know blah blah blah. I don't want to get into the religious aspect right, of it too much, right, but right. the 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 fundamental concept. I I've said this. Actually said this to the head of the religious Zionist party, forgetting at the moment that was the name of his party in Israel. <laughs> I said, you know, one of the big lies. I said, here's a lie: Jewish democracy is a lie because either you could have a, a, a democracy in service to the Jewish people, but but once it's a pure democracy, then it can't be Jewish. In other words, if there's a limiting factor, it's it's, it's like it's like what we are in this country. We have a constitution, so we are a constitutional republic. Which means that the interstitial, in, the the non-essential issues are put up for public vote, but we don't let the essential things go to vote, right? The, it's, the, the Constitution is a limiter on democracy, right? Right. So too, if it's going to be a Jewish state, which is to provide for the survival of the Jews, then it has to have a limiter on democracy. Then it's has to limit democracy. Okay. I said religious Zionism is also because religion doesn't modify Zionism. Zionism was the replacement for religion. So it's even though there is a concept called religious Zionist, it's misleading. And the point is that you can talk to so people arguing about this in Israel, and in the end, they don't agree with each other what Zionism means. Okay, here's the fact: we did a poll. Okay, I pushed for this question to be asked in the poll, and it was a poll of Orthodox Jews, um, readers of of Ami magazine, which you'll be familiar with, Ron, and most of your listeners may not be which is a fair cross-section of, I would say, centrist uh, orthodoxy. It's not too far left and it's not too far right. And we asked them how they self-define. Are you, uh, I am pro-Israel, I'm, I'm pro-Israel and a Zionist. I am pro-Israel, but not a Zionist. And I'm neither pro-Israel nor a Zionist. And a solid majority said that they were pro-Israel, but not Zionist, which is shocking to anyone not Jewish in America and shocking to anyone in Israel at all. Because they, they they think the two things are the same. Right. But they're not. Pro-Israel to me, and I think to you, just means, you know, whatever. I, I don't have I don't have any religious feeling about the state of Israel. It's it's a it's a state where there are a lot, a lot of my my co-religionists and, and, and my ethnicity who are in a pretty miserable neighborhood that people want to kill them. And it really matters to me that they stay safe. End the story. And there, so bringing it on home, those four districts that voted as they did in Rockland and South and and and, and Brooklyn did not vote because of Israel. Israel is among the things that they care about, but especially for a congressional seat, presidential election, we can have a conversation. Oh no, no, no! I think they cared about about the treatment of. It, it falls into the category of the treatment of Jews, the rise of anti-Semitism. So it, it isn't specifically that, but it, but that was included in it, that they see one party, the Democrats, have turned on Israel in a very disgusting and oblique, I mean, not oblique, in a very disgusting and direct, not oblique way, all right? And the other party seems to be strong. So that 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 factors into it, but it's the gestalt is not, I'm a Zionist, it's, is someone protecting the Jews or someone attacking the Jews? And right now, one party seems to be attacking the Jews, and the other party seems to be protecting them. So one of the most prominent um, uh, operatives of the Democratic Party is a person named Greenblatt. Ugh. So I think we have to deal with something that you and I have been very exercised over the last few weeks. Um, and it has taken on a new urgency, both for him and for us, uh, with the changes at Twitter. And that is um, the Anti-Defamation League, headed by the charming Jonathan Greenblatt. Yeah. Um, who has... So, so uh, you know, as you know, 
the ADL has for the longest time been at the forefront of speech regulation under the rubric of hate speech. Uh, you know, we all know that because Hitler published a book, then that that's why there was a Holocaust. I mean, that right. I mean, I think those things one ineluctably follows. From well, no, no, no. To be fair, it's also because he was a white male, and we know that white males are <laughs> inherently toxic and 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 really don't deserve to exist. And P.S. The same guy, Greenblatt. Remember, he's famously he has said many times that Jews are white have white privilege. So, so it, it, we're caught up in the same thing. We're all part of that camp. So we have a problem which is that groups, including the Anti-Defamation League, that claim to speak on behalf of American Jews, most definitely don't speak on behalf of our communities, no. which is which represent the absolute statistically, empirically unquestionable future of the American Jewish, the world of American Jews, last names notwithstanding. Um here we are now, and this guy is trashing Elon Musk big time. Yeah, I wish I could find you know an excellent the, the the best example of his tweeting. Best example is the one Elon reacted to. Oh yeah, where, where where first of all Elon fell into the trap of actually throwing some having a meeting with him and giving him credibility. Well, maybe so, but I think it I I think it ended up uh, yeah, being a very very wise move because he can say I went, I tried, I made, I offered. And well, because Elon, did, did you, you know which tweet I'm talking about, where he, where he, I'm looking for it. Yeah. Well, basically, you were talking. You, you bring this to to the important yeah. topic for here, which is which is speech and and et cetera. And look, so Elon Musk <clears throat> is doing something extraordinary. I'm not sure that we're all going to love everything that's on his on Twitter. I'm sure I'm sure I'm not going to like a lot of it. But that's the point. The point is, it is returning to being a marketplace of ideas as opposed to a bulletin board for propaganda. Oh yeah, and it, there's, there's uh, no question that anti-Semitism is more over the top. Today, November 30th, that it was on September 30th or October 30th. No, no question about it. People are the, the creeps, the anonymous creeps with the cartoon, uh, you know, or and or the, you know, the Aryan, you know, uh, it, those guys are much more, much braver than they were before. Yeah. Can't, can't deny that. Yep. No, there's no question about it. The point, listen, uh, the question is, it's, it's a, the bigger meta question of how, of how all these social media organizations in section 230 that's that's a meta question i'm sure you've dealt with many times but specifically now look what happened was twitter had become a platform for people like jonathan greenblatt at the adl who was a former obama uh active operative who took over the adl and completely subordinated it to the democrats it, it became an absolutely only operated platform by democrats they've launched a number of other, some they've taken over a number of organizations and they've launched a number of organizations um, all in the name of Jews. There's a, there's an there's an Anne Frank organization that is oh. also run by a Democrat operative who's officially said, well, yeah, we're really not about being pro-Jewish or fighting anti-Semitism anymore. They're not. Okay, it's not really about Anne Frank anymore. It's about pushing the Democrats' agenda, which is to cover for and shill for a party which is mainstreaming and normalizing anti-Semites and anti-Semitism. As opposed to the Republican Party, which listen, there are plenty of anti-Semites in the Republican Party. I don't like them, but at least the party has done a a creditable job of trying to police it and and call it out. And there are cases, only one party has done this, where people who are clear anti-Semites are running for election, where they have disavowed them, even though they're running on their party line. 
where the Republicans have at least two or three cases I'm aware of in writing said they're running as a Republican, do not support them, do not vote for them. Democrats, on the other hand, are are making them the stars of their party. Exactly. Here it is. Yeah. Everybody can read it, but I have to read it. Oh, because, oh that's right. It's because he allowed Trump back on Twitter. Can you imagine? Right. Can you imagine the chutzpah of this guy. This guy. Stop defaming me. Right. 351,000 likes. Let's, i got to find mine. Oh, that was the Washington Post lie detector? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Look, they, they had they had an unbelievable power of one message and one message only. All right. Uh, just today, there was one of the big Biden guys who's got over a million followers. I think he was one of the top fundraising guys for Biden, put out a tweet, uh, you know, asking for a raise of hands to support me. Hate speech. Yeah, oh, here you go. There you go. Raise your, hate speech does not equal free speech. And what is never left said, you put up that tweet, you didn't put up my response is, yes, what's never said is that and I get to decide what hate speech is. <laughs> right. Because that's what this is really all about. Yeah. And, you know. It's it's interesting to me that Greenblatt has been among the vanguard of, of this attack on on Twitter, which I predict the Democrats will not be able politically to pull off. I think they would they would like nothing more than to sick the antitrust of it. Whatever it is, I, it is not going to work. I agree. And the re this, this is one of the few third rails left in the American legal system. The second anything along these lines gets in front of a judge, it's over. Yeah, unless they pass the court. Any which, federal judge. They might try. They, they still might try it. They will. They're gonna they're gonna find they're gonna find, you know, that district where there's, you know, the most likely to to, to get a judge that works for them, but someone's no, gonna No, I'm be, saying pack the court, meaning meaning a pack a pack the Supreme Court. Yeah. I missed you on that. Uh if they yeah, if they manage to do that, then well, uh, so so I guess I guess those four seats turn out to be pretty important. On those four reason. seats are well, they don't get to vote on on. Well, do they get? To, they don't get. In to order vote to change the size of the Supreme Court, I think you need that have to require legislation, and that's not just the okay. Judiciary Committee approving the justice. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about I was thinking about the other. I was thinking about advising consent, which is the Senate. But you're right. Anyway, look, this is they've wanted to control the message, and it's so funny. There's this rush of journalists claiming that they're leaving. Like CBS News, my former <laughs> oh, man said they were leaving. And How they, embarrassing. Yeah, just, you know, every one of them that leaves sets up a dummy account, you know, an anonymous account. That's that's the best part. They can't, well, they can't afford well, they, it. They, they, there was a set up a long time ago. I mean, right. Also but, true. That's also true. But but they they but but even think about that, which is journalists in quotes saying the idea of a freer marketplace of idea is, is not one we're gonna cover, it's one we're gonna flee from. Right, which tells you that for a few years there, they really had oh, yeah. an unbelievable power, an unbelievable powerful single voice platform. And clearly, I mean, you know, I, I, I have to, I have to admit, I don't think my house is the only one where people are talking about are, are they going to try? Are they, are they going to try to take out Elon Musk? He is such. I mean, look, having been a super duper billionaire, I'm sure that his security has been yeah. worked out for quite some time. But the man is an epical figure right now, right now. And and in terms of what he's what he has alluded to, what he has said he's going to do, 
open basically opening up the Stasi files at Twitter. It is it's it's such a an existential threat to the system. Um, it's you know it's it, it's amazing times. There was something else we wanted to talk about. Yeah, well, yeah, there was. We want to talk about how all of this, and this relates to what you're talking about, ADL, how all this relates to the Israeli elections. Ah, uh, yes. Right. Which, which, it's amazing to see how the, how the left in Israel has simply lifted the playbook from the Democrats. Yeah. There is nothing at this point, there's nothing they won't say about, about Benjamin Netanyahu. Not fascist. Yeah. What is it? Do they use the language? Homophobe, uh, racist, capo, the whole thing, the whole thing. Yeah, it's cute. It's cute. (laughs) They're trying, you know. No, and 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 it turns out religious voters had a little bit of an influence on that outcome as well in Israel. That's that's correct. But here's the thing: what what what, what's happening is there was a and and I actually as I told you, as you know, I've been spending about half my time there lately uh, until recently. In fact, I'm heading back on rolling next week. Um, and we could do a podcast live from Jerusalem or something. Yeah. If you want. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, the and I told him here's what's going to happen, and it did happen, which is the, the Democrats, um, well, working with the mainstream Jewish groups, which is to say the establishment Jewish groups, um, did this uh, did and are doing an all-out campaign to threaten directly threaten Netanyahu that if you form a coalition, because there it's a coalition government. It's not, you know, and 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 it's him, which party is going to work with. If you form a coalition with the right wing parties, um, things will go badly for you. And there's there's a huge campaign here, huge campaign, as you just said, to demonize, delegitimize in the worst possible phrase, literally using the words Nazi. OK, um, amazing. Yeah. Well, and and, and that pressure has been, go- been, been ongoing. And the truth is, we have the first moment here where. Right now, it looks like it still looks like Bibi's going to form a government with with the more right wing, right? Um, which I am very hopeful for, and uh, and uh, it. But the, the pressure is all coming from these Jewish groups that are working on behalf of the Democrats. By the way, can I deconstruct that for you? What am I talking? Okay, well, I'm counting on it. Okay, good. Here's another one of Jeff's rule. It's not a rule; it's an explanation. Yeah, you really only told us one. Oh, yeah, be- well, I told you, I, I snuck another one in there. One was about, about incentives, and then I snuck another one in there, but uh, whatever. Um, here's one. This is not a rule. This is an observation. For decades, people ask, you know, why do Jews vote Democrat when it seems so against Jewish interests? Of course, you could ask that question about why Blacks vote Democrat, why Hispanics vote Democrat. I mean, it is against why anybody votes Democrat. It's against America's interest, but okay. It's definitely against the Jews' interest. Um based on this set of ideas of what is in Jewish interests. Um, so here's the thing. I, the way I've, I've learned to explain this, to help people understand this, is because there's, a, there's a, a linguistic quirk which makes it hard to understand the Jewish vote. So let's forget about Jews for a minute, if we could, and talk about Irish people, okay? Irish Americans. So it used to be for decades, and for actually for more than decades, until very recently, there was a very robust Irish American for outreach in every campaign. Italian American, Irish American, you don't really do that so much anymore. I mean, they have nominal ones occasionally. They had it because Biden's from uh, parentage is from Ireland, so the they connection had to the old country has obviously. But, but they, nobody's putting money into winning the Irish American vote. You never hear that as an actual 
political demographic. Because everyone realized decades ago that basically Irish Americans vote like everyone else in their zip code, income bracket, educational, you know, every other, every non-minority, okay? They vote the same way. Yet, there is still a Catholic American, Catholic outreach, which is, which is serious and robust. And a lot of those Catholics are also Irish, okay? Because there is actually a set of identity issue items on which people who are devoutly Catholic vote. Okay, so everyone understands that you can have Catholic outreach and not have Irish outreach, even though a lot of those same people are both Irish and Catholic. Okay, the problem is the word Jew means Irish and the word Jew means Catholic. And so it confuses everybody because Jew is an ethnicity like Irish, okay? And Jew is a faith like Catholic in terms of political ideologies and in terms of motivating votes. And by and large, other than first amendment, first, first generation immigrants to America, Jews who are not focused on the faith part have long ago assimilated and they vote exactly like every other non-minority in their zip code. Therefore, they're basically voting like every other Upper West and Upper East Sider in New York, okay? And therefore they're voting Democrat because of because Jewish issues are simply not on their agenda. And we know this because there are poll after poll after poll done by groups like J Street to say, hey, Jews aren't voting on Israel. Well, their Jews are really not. Okay? They're not. And, and and yet what they insist on is these are the, the value we're voting. Our voting is nonetheless informed by Jewish values, Jewish values, which is essentially the the Democratic National Committee. Exactly, values. because they've defaulted. They haven't, right, they defaulted. They know there's some kind of minority, but they're not. So therefore, that's exactly right. And that is exactly consistent with what I'm about to say, Ron, which is, so when you look at the Conference of Presidents and the vast majority of their organizations, and you certainly look at groups like the Anti-Defamation League, the demographic that supports that group ceased voting on Jewish issues, ceased caring about Jewish issues, and instead it supplanted them with the issues that concern them, which is to say the issues that concern every non-minority in the Upper East Side, okay? Which is to say they are, in fact, the water carriers for the Democrats, and when they say Jewish values, they mean Democrats. There's another phrase they use, tikkun olam, which again means anything the Democrats stand for. And so, so, the, so it's, I'm, my argument is they aren't even a political demographic. Are they a, a religious right. demographic? No, they're they're an ethnic demographic. You're 100 percent and, and, and even zero then, zero interest politically. Barely, they're they're not even an ethnic right demographic. We, you know, it's a cultural uh, it's a cultural footnote. Right, you really. and, right, but, and and by the way, you see it because if you put up the chart, will your grandchildren be Jewish? If you want to, if you want to find that chart and show the world, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure I tweeted it. With the, as I, I a week doesn't go by where I don't tweet it. Right, I use that all the time to explain <laughs> that they they have they they are, they are on the fast track to to try to assimilate away. Okay, and um, the other demographic, which is the faith demographic, and that's the Irish Jew, the Catholic Jew, as it were, that's a legitimate voting demographic, a growing one, a dynamic one, and a nonpartisan one, one that will vote based on their issues and one that delivered the House to the Republicans in this last election. And that's what's so important here. These four seats were specifically because of an issue that this political demographic voted on. Right. So if you look to the left, the, 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 the left two columns represents probably 
80% of who populates the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations. Right. And it's if you, what that says, if you start with 100 Jews, based on self-definition, not in whatever the religious definition is, just someone, are you Jewish? Yes. How many of their, what is their replacement rate? In the fourth generation, how many Jewish descendants do they have? And the answer is... By now, they're down to none. Or, or because, I mean... People who are in leadership now, they have you know, who are our, our age, have married children. Right. I mean, I, I don't want to get too you know too much on the inside baseball here with that, but no, but that's that's the very difficult to hear. It's actually painful to hear a joke that people make about the difference between the the conference of presidents and Donald Trump is that he's got Jewish grandchildren. <laughs> it's, it's brutal. It's, it's brutal. It's hard to hear, but that's yeah. because that's the truth. That they don't, by and large, and 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 you and I do. Thank God, and you know why? Because I do. <laughs> and that's why we will struggle. That's why th that that is what turned those seats. And and it is. And now back to Israel, which is what we were now you because you were explaining what happened. In they Israel. are right. The other side, the ones who are who are savaging any concept of Jewish continuity, and that that it shows their their policies are absolutely anti-Jewish continuity. I mean, they've actually written articles about how the idea that Jews should marry within the faith is, is terrible and toxic and evil, which, you know, that's that's a new concept in the in the, in the the 4,000 plus year annals of Jewish history, okay? Because they have to just self-justify, but that's what motivates them. And so, yes, they are fighting against the Jewishness of the state of Israel. And the fact is Israel, and I've been spending more time there lately, it's the first time, Ron, in Jewish history, certainly in 2000 years, but because Judaism as a religion developed subsequent to that, as opposed to the temple-based biblical faith, right? The Judaism as the religion we know today, it's the first time that we have a, that we now have the third generation, means Jews who are, who they and their parents have never known anything other than what it's like to live in a country that's majority Jews. And so culturally, what you're seeing is what 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 people self-define as secular Jews in Israel. They light candles for Shabbat. They fast on Yom Kippur. They care about Jewish education. They pray. And so-called religious, for example, Reform Jews, not Jews, but the leadership, the rabbis in America, they do none of the above. Right. They just push vote Democrat and and you know and 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 abort babies and and make sure that your rabbi is 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 transgender. In other words, you're saying American American Jewish leaders are have been left way behind by all but the leading edge of of of, un, of a religious or, or anti-religious Israelis, uh, non-religious Israelis, are still more culturally and even theologically Jewish than the vast majority of Americans. Jews. The, the the most popular musicians in Israel now. Um, it's really interesting. I, I my uh, brother and sister-in-law took us out to a concert a couple of weeks ago. It's a guy named Hanan Ben Ari, and he and he and he, and he played a concert in Brooklyn. It's the first concert in New York. He is a religious Jew. He wears a yarmulke, right? And he is one of the superstars of Israeli music. Everyone knows his music, and his songs are like prayers. And his songs are, you know, and 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 they're usually popular in Israel in the secular world, and I'm at this concert in Brooklyn, I was the only guy in my row, right, who didn't have long side locks, 
okay? And they all knew the words, right? Meaning the ultra-Orthodox here, non-Zionists, by the way, right? Are singing his songs, and the secular there are singing his songs because there's a, a cultural sense of Jewishness that, that rises above this all, that the American Jewish leadership, it's not just they don't understand it, they're hostile to it. And so they also were leading the charge. And the, the leader of the reform movement was one of the people leading the charge against Jewish education in New York. So, and, and they're trying to savage Israel. And what I'm trying to tell Israel is, you, I know you guys care a lot about the American Jewish community, if you want to, if, if but don't worry about it. They have no political power. <laughs> the only ones who do are the ones who just changed the election. Um, and they could use your help because because their 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 children and grandchildren have completely lost the plot. They were never yeah. taught the plot. On that note, I don't know why that's a note of anything, but I think it's a good place for us to call to call it a to call it an episode. Fantastic talking to you. I I, I um you 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 you're bringing together observations, and especially now that you have this jet set israel american lifestyle and you're really seeing these things you know in person and of course you have you have children who live in israel no no nope i had uh i had a son in yeshiva there until recently um and then i had no, my were planning on moving to this year that, that just got pushed off but right now no now when i'm there so that's i that's why honestly i would probably think about basing myself there even more but right now i'm I'm doing the like half there the yeah kids aren't there so it's a little bit less of harder. a harder yeah it's, it's it's harder kids grandchildren so I, I try to be here much more right um but yes all right well thanks again we're gonna have a lot more to talk about whether people like it or not uh and i think the people who, who, who like this podcast like 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 you on my podcast as well so thanks well, a lot. Listen, look forward to listening. You and I together in Jerusalem doing a podcast would be awesome. Oh, man. Maybe I can get Harmeet to send me. No, she has. She really doesn't have anything to do with this. <laughs> That's one of the few elections where she has not been asked to get involved. All right. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.